0: Hi, my name is Frankie. Thank you for listening to my
1: mom. I never listen.
0: One of my favorite people in the A10 has got to be Dan Burt, the head coach of Duquesne, because I love the way he thinks the game, sees the game, and teaches the game. I've had a chance to spend some time with Dan over the years, and I have learned a lot of basketball from watching his teams and just having conversation with him. Dan, you're a heck of a guy, and you care about the game so much, and it's so great to have you on the podcast.
1: I really appreciate you having me, and I appreciate those kind words. Uh, I'll give you that hundred dollars after we get done. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: Look,
1: Thank you know, you. I don't
0: even know where to start with you because I don't know if people realize. You know, I, I've had this conversation. With a lot of people, they think they know someone because they watch them on the sideline. They watch their demeanor with their team. But you really don't know unless you have a conversation or you get to know somebody a little bit better. And you're quite the Renaissance guy. You've got quite a history of interesting, eclectic, I would say, things that you wouldn't always anticipate a basketball coach might do. Why don't you share some of those with us?
1: Uh, you know, I, I kind of try to treat myself as sort of like the Anthony Bourdain of women's college basketball Um uh, I was at the forefront of international recruiting and uh, spent a lot of time overseas doing a lot of recruiting, and I'm actually planning my trip to the Olympics right now. Uh, there's a very good chance that we'll have two Olympians coming from Duquesne University uh, playing for the Hungarian and for the Senegal Senegalese national teams. Uh, but uh, when, I, when I would go on trips like that, uh, those trips are... Uh, not just staying in a, in a very nice hotel and only doing westernized things. It's you know trying the thing uh, on the corner market that the guy says chicken, and you don't know if it's really chicken or not. And oh. uh, it's going into people's homes and experiencing new and different cultures. And uh, I've been really fortunate that so many people across the world have welcomed me uh, to do those types of things. And uh, I feel like some of our success, uh, especially uh, my success recruiting, has been because I've, I'm an inquisitive person. And I want to learn about other people. And when you have players that are from whether they're from West Virginia or they're from Serbia, uh, when you're inquisitive about what their lives are, what their family's lives are and what their culture is, uh, you tend to build greater and stronger bonds, which in turn makes them better basketball players on the floor. And it makes it easier to coach them.
0: Before we start talking about your own team um, on the court, I want to talk about your team at home, because... All the things that you just said obviously have an influence and impact on your boys and how you raise your boys with your wife. You know, give us a little insight there about your family, um, what you're willing to share about your guys and, and about your wife.
1: I appreciate yeah, uh, I appreciate you mentioning them because they are the rock of uh, everything that I do. Uh, my wife, Kata Katanic came to America with basically about $100 in her pocket and didn't speak English, and now she uh, works for a pretty large technology company and has done exceptionally well. And uh, we've raised two sons that are dual citizens. Uh, they're both citizens of the United States and of Hungary, and they're bilingual. Uh, our oldest son, Shoma, is a college swimmer, and uh, we're hoping this summer that he'll actually work in Croatia, uh, and he's a great kid. You- from your children for them to be healthy, happy, and productive, and he's right. that and more. Um, our, uh, he's the one that has the gift. Uh, he's a very talented basketball player, and we're really excited that this summer we're going to spend June. Well, my wife and Milan will spend June and July uh, in Hungary as he, as a twelve-year-old, will try to make the fourteen and under national team there. Uh, we don't really expect him to make it, but he'll be a part of the tryouts, and then uh, from there he'll go to Belgrade. Uh, Serbia and be a part of the Mega Basketball Academy, which is where uh, Jokic really refined his skills. And so uh, we're those crazy parents that are willing to do whatever it takes uh, to help our kids live their dreams. Uh, but also those are our dreams in the fact that we want our children to be world citizens and to be able to really experience different cultures and be put into different situations where they have to think like a grown up. And uh, we've been fortunate enough uh, that we've been able to do that with our children.
0: I think that's absolutely amazing. Uh, That's so interesting to me. And You say happy, healthy, and productive. I always say happy, healthy included with my three guys. So we're thinking along the same lines. Uh, I was joking around about kids go to college today, like they have a concierge. Um, You guys do about everything for them, uh, including probably tying their shoes sometimes just because I'm just being funny about it. But, you know, like everything is so catered to their experience, and you want them to be able to make choices on their own and to be able to decide some things. Um, when when it comes to dealing with your team and the things that you've learned through basketball that have made you a better parent, a better coach, a better husband, a better dad, all those things, how would you boil that down?
1: Uh, don't have your parents call me. Uh, that's that's how I would I would do it. You, you're an adult, and I want you to come and communicate with me. Um, you know, I'll talk to a parent. I have a rule that I'll talk to a parent one time about playing time. And uh, I don't have a problem with doing that one time. Uh, a parent, because we have so many players from all over the world, can call me literally any time that they want. But the first time there's an obstacle for one of our student athletes, I want them to come to me and communicate with me. And I just had it happen yesterday. Our young lady from Paris was giving me the mean mug, the look. and. I'm like what's 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 the problem and she's one of our starters and she's upset cuz she's not playing as much and I'm like, well, giving me the mean mug for two days isn't going to help anything. You have to be able to communicate. And I think that uh, in today's society, with everything so text-driven and social media driven, mm-hmm. that inter- interaction face-to-face is very difficult for young people. And that's one of the things that we really emphasize is that you know your communication skills can't just be through text or social media. And they're not going to be with me and our coaching staff. You have to come in. You have to spend some time with us. And we have to sit down face-to-face. And I'm not a mean guy. I'm going to listen to you. I don't have prejudged uh, convictions about any individual in our program. I'm going to listen to hear what you have to say, and I'm going to collaborate with you and hopefully meet you halfway so that we both win. And that doesn't always happen. Every once in a while, I have to put the dictator hat that's on the wall over here, and I have to put the dictator hat on and say, this is what we're doing.
0: Well, and sometimes you have to be what you would say the adult in the room, right? I mean, at times you got to help them see both sides of each issue. And, And I'm with you on parents. I still to this day cannot believe that coaches in college are dealing with parents calling them about their kids playing time or some issue about basketball related. If anything, if there was an issue with a kid off the court, that would be more what a parent should be calling you about to help. Uh, with some tough love or whatever, but I know from recruiting, I've heard a lot of coaches say this. I'm not just recruiting the kid; I'm recruiting the parent as well because I want to know how that parent's going to respond when things get tough for their own kid, and you know where they're going to be when that happens.
1: Well, in recruiting, you know, we we recruit, you know, and we build this fantasy up, and then once a, a young lady comes to the, whatever university it is the accessibility that that parent had during the recruiting process tends to go away. And so that's why, like, I I make myself accessible to parents before and after games Uh, parents can come to every practice. And uh, we haven't had that, but you know, when, when a player's parents come in from overseas, we obviously want them to come to every practice. It's funny, the kids that are local to us, and that's what our recruiting philosophy is, is hyper local or overseas. Our, our kids that have been from Western Pennsylvania, their parents have not come to practice, and they they are always invited, and, and they have that invitation offered to them several times. Uh, but I think that we create this fantasy during the recruiting process that everything's going to be great, and that's the reason why our transfer portal is the way it is. And so I try to make myself accessible to parents in a face-to-face uh, connection. Um, don't call me you got you got one phone call to call me about playing time. But if you see me, you know, after games that's a little bit difficult because there's the emotional component there, but uh I I always leave our program as an open door so that uh parents and and the and the, the coaches uh of the players that we have are always welcome to come and spend a day with us to see what's really going on behind the scenes.
0: I haven't coached at the same level, but when I've coached uh my youngest son's teams, I've said the same thing. Uh it, don't have your kid, don't have the parent come and ask me what the kid needs to do to get playing time. Have your kid come and ask. They need to improve and come to practice. You'll see for yourself. You'll see how things are happening and why maybe your kid's not getting exactly what you think they should get when you're not in practice every day, which is a philosophy that I take as a broadcaster as well. I'm not in your practice every day. So my job is to tell you how and why. It's not to be critical or not, you know, it, it's to have an opinion. But to provide strategies or options or things that could happen or something that I might have seen, I'm not in practice every day, so I can't assume that I know every single reason why you do what you do. But I do know that coaches have a reason for why they do certain things. And it is something that it's my job to figure out or ask about before we get there so that I know that if you're up three and there's six seconds, you might foul or you might not foul or uh, so and so, Megan McConnell needs a screen at the end of the shot clock because she's better in a two playing off a screen, or maybe she doesn't need a screen. You know, those are things that I like to ask coaches. So let's get into the basketball side of things, Dan, for a second. Um, I know you like analytics, but I also know you have great feel because you're an international basketball coach, if you will. You've been all over the world watching the game. You ha- and your kids are going to be international. Your son is going to be an international player. You know, where's the balance between the art and the science of the analytics and the feel for the game for you? Uh,
1: you know, I think it starts with the people that you surround yourself with. And, you know, I have two older coaches that are retired teachers that have coached 35 plus years at the high school and small college level. And so, you know, they're more feel based. They didn't use analytics when they were when they were uh, younger in their coaching career. Uh, whereas my younger assistants, uh, and I have two of them, they are much more analytical based. So I'm going to listen to both sides of them, and then it becomes a funnel effect where I make that decision at the end. Um, I've definitely been more of a field coach uh, up until this season, and I've been using leaning on analytics more and more uh, as we go through this conference season. And then, frankly, uh, it's given us a lot more success. Uh, and I think a big part of that for us is is that uh, this year in the non-conference, we did not have the su- success that we expected. And a big reason for that is, is that we didn't have consistency. So in the first quarter, I was playing 11 players trying to find some level of consistency in who was going to deliver to build combinations for the remaining three quarters of the game. That didn't work, not to the level that we expected. And so we shortened the bench. We shortened the combinations. And we relied a little bit more on analytics. And since then, uh, you know, we've reeled off a, a pretty good conference record. We're eight and three, and uh, uh, our expectations are high as we go through February.
0: So, the A10 has typically been a one or two bid league. And the competitiveness of your league this year is at its all time high. I, I think this is one of the best races around the country when you're trying to decide. The ACC has got a handful of teams that can win. The SEC has one that's going to win. Uh, The A-10 has a lot of teams that can win. The Big East has one team that's going to win. So when you're talking about not the best conference or any of that, because I don't like all that conversation, but I'm talking about competitive races inside conference play, which matter. This year, the NCAA has added the WBIT. um, And then there's other options that you can play as well. This is going to be a year in the A-10 where I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to play in the postseason. Uh, obviously you want to play in the NCAA tournament, but how do you see the race going right now? Because there's a bunch of teams jumbled up at the top.
1: It, you know, St. Joe's to me uh, is, is, is a, an elite level team. They've only had two losses, uh, one to Utah, who I have a lot of respect to, and I think that what Cindy's doing at St. Joe's is really special. Uh, her players truly understand their roles, and uh, they're very good basketball players. They are very good. Uh, George Mason has uh, – what, what Coach has done there has been simply amazing. Uh, she has really built that program in a short period of time, and her kids truly believe in her. Uh, Mason, Richmond, St. Joe's. VCU, who I think Beth Beth has done an excellent job there of, again, her players buying into what she wants and how they're playing and the roles that they're playing. Uh, so, you know, again, Joes, VCU, Mason, Richmond, and, and ourselves, uh, along with Rhode Island, uh, you know, have really all uh, had a good start to our season. Uh, the thing is, is we've played the majority of them. Uh, a lot of those teams have to play one another still, and there's going to be some cannibalization there. And so some of the records will take a little bit of a dip. And so you're going to have five or six teams that are all going to be going uh, for the top spot. We're not talking about the top four to get the double bye, but we're literally talking about for someone to win the league. And so this is going to be a really exciting race in February uh, for the Atlantic Ten. And then, you know, you have another tier of teams that are very good also that can beat anyone on any given day. Uh, I have a lot of respect uh, for what they're doing at Loyola and George Washington. Uh, we have LaSalle coming to us on Saturday. And, you know, Coach Mountain there at LaSalle, you just don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to take the air out of the basketball and try to limit possessions? Uh, it's It's been a very, very good league this year in terms of the coaches coaching their kids and really strategizing. Um, in terms of the postseason, uh, I have very strong opinions about that. You know, we don't know what the WBIT is going to be like. Uh, it, it'll be very interesting. Um, you know, the NCAA does no favors to non-Power 5 schools to get an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if that'll be the case with the WBIT. Also, uh, the, the, for, the the NIT for the women has always been a goal of teams in the Atlantic 10. We always want to play in the NCAA tournament, but we've been a one-bid league now for about three or four years. And so, you know, that NIT matters because you you still had a really, really good year. Uh, any other tournaments beyond that, we're not interested in playing. Um, but, you know, the ultimate goal every year for any team in the Atlantic 10 is obviously the NCAA tournament. And we went last in 2016. And our goal this year is to play in the postseason. And frankly, to position ourselves to get a top four seed and get the double buy. Uh, we believe that we will be a top four team. And if we get that double buy, uh, lots of good things can happen from there.
0: Anything can happen. The double buy is so critical in every postseason tournament for teams. So you don't have to play four or five days in a row, which is really tough for anyone, regardless of the amount of depth that you have. You have probably my favorite McConnell on your team and and not
1: just (laughs) Megan
0: (laughs) is a great point guard for you or in the A-10. She's an excellent point guard in college basketball. Let's talk a little bit about her skill set because, you know, I've played against Susie. I've called um, plenty of games that Susie and Kathy have have coached. Uh, I see Michael on a regular basis on the road as a referee. I know you used to be a ref, so I know you might have some funny stories there, but Uh, Let's just talk about Megan and, as you mentioned, the competitiveness of the A-10 and, you know, being able to manage different styles and having a point guard that really understands the game. And I I think she's right now at the taping of this. She's like 12, um, nine and five and a half, I think, is what her numbers are, which are absolutely outstanding.
1: You know, and she's doing that by playing a lot of minutes. I think she leads the nation in minutes played. Uh, and it's not something that you even notice, uh, the amount of time that she's on the floor. Uh, she's certainly my, my, uh, my safety blanket in a sense. Um, she rarely comes off the floor, but yet you never worry about her, uh, in terms of the minutes that she's played in her usage. Now, going forward as the head coach, I have to be concerned about that usage, especially this week with our travel and our three games over uh, a seven day period. Um, but you know, Meg, it, we can talk all about the stats and you know how she's probably the best rebounder in the country uh, under six foot, and uh, it, you know it goes to who she is. Um, you know, this is a young woman who's student teaching right now, and so she drives forty minutes every day off campus to go student teach and give her energy to these elementary school kids, mm-hmm. and then races back for practice at six thirty every night. And uh, and gives everything she has in practice. So uh, she's a, a young woman who is just excellent in everything that she does. And she's what you want when you have a, a a daughter. I mean, she's a great student. She's a great human being off the floor. And as much as basketball defines her and her family, uh, Megan is really a really well-rounded person that has more in her life than just basketball in and school. And, and that's really great to see. Uh, She is, uh, uh, we're still trying to get her to be a little bit more verbal, which she has done this year, but she has been committed 100% to our success. uh, And that's everything from becoming more verbal to adding about almost 20 pounds of muscle since she arrived at Duquesne. And very frankly, uh, being an incredibly loyal, uh, incredibly good basketball player to our program and to myself. Um, You know, she's shared with me a couple of times about, you know, hey, when no one else recruited me out of high school, you were my guy. And, you know, our, our recruiting process was very short. We thought we were going to redshirt her, and she showed up on campus, and we f- clearly found out very quickly, you never bet against the I never,
0: <laughs> never bet, bet against it. the first family of Pittsburgh, that's for sure, in basketball, the McConnell family. Uh, and they are, they are awesome, and I love being around all of them because their stories are incredible. I'm still uh, – it's a <laughs> bucket list item of mine to be sitting around the kitchen table on a, a Sunday with all the McConnells there. I think that would be – I don't think they have any room for me at the table, but I would love to be sitting there in the in the room so that I can listen to all their banter back and forth. Um, Dan, you yeah. know what? We, we enjoy having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing some wisdom about your team, your background, the incredible race, and then my favorite McConnell, Megan.
1: Thank you, I appreciate it very much, Debbie. I appreciate being here. What you do for women's basketball and basketball in general, you're the best there is. And uh, I'm honored to be on this today. Thank you.
0: Thank you.